Yeah. And honestly, it's everyone is their own best advocate. I mean, you could have the best mentor, you could have the best boss, even though that's rare. <laughs> you could have a great support network. But if you take yourself seriously, then others will take you seriously. Welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes, where we talk to recruiters and hiring managers to lift the curtain on the hiring process so you can learn about how hiring decisions get made. This week, we are with Rachel Gogel, who is got the all-star of resumes when it comes to having worked at incredible companies and having had incredible experiences. Rachel brings more of the hiring manager's perspective. She's been early at incredible companies like New York Times when they form new divisions, Meta, just incredible companies and has built teams from scratch, has been an individual contributor, has been a manager, has built teams and done a lot of hiring. And now she's an educator in helping people build their design careers. So we talk a lot about how to show up, how to build confidence, how to build relationships in your career, and how that can carry you from company to company and how all those things have a huge impact on your career. It's the second time I get to interview Rachel. She was in our previous podcast, and so we'll link to that in the show notes if you want to hear about her incredible career. But this was a really fun episode, and I recommend you listen all the way to the end because it's got really good insights all the way through. I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed recording it. everyone. Welcome to another episode of Hiring Behind the Scenes. And this week we are with Rachel Gogel, who is going to bring the hiring manager's perspective from an incredible list of companies she's worked at, but better she introduced herself than, than I do a poor version of it. So Rachel, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> Thanks, Dave, for having me. Hi, everyone. As Dave mentioned, my name is Rachel Gogel. My pronouns are she, her, uh, and I am a Parisian creative director, designer, educator, speaker. I'm uh, currently based in San Francisco, California. And I actually currently run my own consultancy practice where my approach is informed by experiences both in-house and agency side. I actually use the term fractional design executive, and I am really committed to designing teams that build brands with a focus on culture and technology. If you're new to that term fractional, totally fine. It's basically a flexible model where organizations engage seasoned professionals to drive initiatives for a fraction of the time. So part-time or per project basis. In my case, I seek to solve major design and brand problems for companies. So over the last 15 years, I've actually led major initiatives at GQ, The New York Times, Meta, Godfrey Adage Partners, uh, Airbnb and Dropbox. Happy to talk about any of these experiences with you, Dave, but that's just a little bit more about me. Amazing. All right. So I think that and I think you're the first true hiring manager we've had on the show. So I'm really excited about this having because we've had a lot of like the recruiter perspective, but a lot of times the hiring manager is setting out the strategy for the team composition is obviously like connected to the business and what you need to do you know, are oftentimes the person who says yes, no on the hire. Some some companies use committees and more, you know, more complex processes, but would love to hear, and also, you know, with a focus on design. So some of your advice may not be relevant to a software engineer, but would love to hear when you started to build the design team, be it now or in any of the companies, but like, what were you thinking about from a skill set perspective and the kind of roles you needed from actual hard skills to seniority? How'd you think about team composition? 
It's a great question. So I would say, I know I just listed a bunch of companies that I've worked with in the past, and some of them have become their clients in my current practice. But no matter where I work, I think I'm I'm looking for the same things in people and how they kind of present themselves publicly to the world or kind of to employers. And really uh, what it comes down to is, I say this often, which is almost like seeing yourself as a brand mm-hmm. or as a Uh, Not in a kind of icky way, but in a you have a set of skills and your job is to package those skills in such a way that it uh, matches a business's needs. And you should think about how you portray your impact, your previous employers. And no matter how experienced you are, like you could be graduating and have never worked before and your task is the same. Uh, You are kind of looking at Uh, Maybe you had internships, maybe you volunteered, maybe you worked on campus pro bono for certain organizations, but it is your job to kind of figure out how to package that in such a way that it's really clear, like how you will provide value for that organization. So when I say that you have to kind of think of yourself as a brand, at least these days, almost think of every part of kind of your brand package, I I tend to say, as you know, they have to kind of all work together. So usually that's your your resume, um, how you talk about yourself on your resume. That's your website, which sometimes can be a portfolio mm-hmm. in the case of a designer or for a non-designer, maybe it's just having a digital presence. And that could also mean just having like optimizing your LinkedIn profile. Maybe you have a website with some information about who you are and what you believe in and your values and your philosophy. And honestly, I give the same advice no matter which stage of your career you're in, because that's what an employer or hiring manager or source or recruiter is looking for, is how do you see yourself? How do you talk about yourself? And making sure that you stand out in in a, a certain way, that you're consistent, that you're clear in your communication style. And I tend to look for potential. You don't have to have had, you know, several years experience or working at certain types of companies or having to go to certain schools. I'm just looking for, at least when I've hired designers in the past or people at any level within the design field, it's visual consistency, a combination of hard skills and soft skills. And really it comes down to the interview process as well, to be honest with you. For sure. So you said a word that I think is often contentious in the sort of hiring space is potential. Like, what are some of your tactics for, like, uncovering potential? And I think pre-interview, right? Because I think interview, we can sort of talk about that. But even, like, when you're looking at a resume, a portfolio, social profiles, dribble site, like, what are things to you that your eye has, like, developed a sensitivity for to be like, ah, that's an indicator of a good thing? Yeah, it's a great question. I would say someone who again, like comes through authentically and kind of how they present themselves, depending on the types of projects they decide to curate, you know, to kind of represent who they are and what they believe in, kind of looking at how they talk about those projects. I want to dive into that one for a second, because I think that that's a really important thing. I think curation, I think a lot of people, what I see a lot of folks with their careers, I'm just going to put it all out there and I'm going to put the work on the viewer to like, you know, pick their own adventure 
but I actually think that hurts people. And what I feel like I heard from you is like, I'm looking for that curation, that sense of cohesion. That means to me, the person has a sensibility for it versus just like, look at all these things that I'm capable of doing. Yeah, actually. So to that point, what I tend to tell my students, so I I think I mentioned earlier, I'm an educator. I teach at the California College of the Arts in San Francisco. That's my wife's alma mater. (laughs) Oh, amazing. And most often what I say is that you have to put yourself in the shoes of the recruiter or the hiring manager when they're looking at your website. So from a user experience perspective, if you were looking at your website and it's overwhelming or it's not clear how to find, you know, find out who you are or how to contact you uh, or, you know, if you're overwhelming them with too many projects, but it's not really clear kind of why you're choosing those projects to begin with. Fewer projects is better, you know, in terms of focusing on quality versus quantity. And back to that curation point, it's really being kind of intentional about how you package yourself, but putting yourself in the shoes of the people who come to your site or look at your resume, you have to make it easy for them to, again, like if you pique their interest, great. It should be clear what your email is. And, you know, that should be a one-click experience from your site. And those things sometimes, you know, they get so caught up in, oh, I have to show everything, you know, so much breadth and kind of overwhelm people with everything that I've maybe ever done. And obviously, if you're a recent graduate, you may feel like you don't have enough, um, which sometimes is kind of the opposite problem, which is, I don't even have enough to curate down. Can I even put student projects online? Can I put volunteer work? Can I put non-paid projects? And I say, of course, It doesn't have to be a full-time role for it to be deserving of kind of showing kind of who you are. It's all about, you know, making it clear why you're choosing that particular project and how it relates to your beliefs and your philosophy as, you know, again, this person who has a set of skills and you are trying to get a certain role. And so, again, that kind of um, ability to tell stories and, Mm. and connect, connect the dots for recruiters and make it really easy for them to be like, oh, that person used to be an architect and now they switched into product design. Why? And some people have a hard time figuring out the connection, but there, there's kind of all those, it's very possible. And it really comes down to positioning, uh, storytelling, curation, and just, again, like thinking a lot about the user experience on the, on the receiving end. What I'm kind of thinking about as I hear you talk is these things are are critical for every position, but for a designer, they're like under a magnifying glass. Because I I recently just hired for two, actually three design positions. And I was looking for the same things I look at on everyone, but just with an extra critical eye. I looked at everyone's resume, but everyone kind of got a pass on like the cleanliness of the resume. For the designers, I was like, I'm looking for just like an intuitive sensibility for composition and structure and legibility, Mm -hmm. hierarchy that I'm not asking a performance marketer, at least I'm not putting a performance marketer through that like criteria in my mind. And so even just like, okay, I go to their website. Like, are they doing, like I wanted people who who had a tendency for like function over form. And so if their website was like over the top, it's like, they might be a great designer, but not what we need, especially the UX designer. And then even the brand designer, I was like, I'm looking for someone who has more of like a clean aesthetic and clean sensibility. Even though they showed breath, I was like, how they decided to show their 
own website, Mm -hmm. that's where they sort of expressed their style. And so I think all these little things are just teeny signals that were going into a sort of, you know, large decision-making model in my head around like who I moved forward and who I wanted to call in for an interview. Yeah. I mean, everything you're saying I have done throughout my career, which is, yeah, if you're going to hire someone in a design role, and what's been interesting is how design as a field has really broadened, right? It's, um, it's so much more encompassing to, to whether it's content design, UX design, even UX research. There's kind of all these folks now, at least it's different than when I started, which wasn't that long ago. But even so, what's happening is that people are, you know, I will judge you if you are not using the same typeface or color palette between your resume and your portfolio, because that shows that you're not thinking about how these brand touch points work together. You know, to a recruiter, that is, you know, those things work hand in hand. Another thing is actually how important LinkedIn has become over the past several years, uh, which is basically a search engine for people. And what I've noticed is that designers, unless I tell them to really invest in LinkedIn, they don't think it's that important or they haven't made the switch. They think their portfolio is actually more important than LinkedIn. And what's interesting from my experience at Meta, for example, is that when I would work with recruiters or sourcers who would help me identify talent for my team, they would actually start with identifying, you know, they would pull LinkedIn profiles and I would have to vet them through LinkedIn first. And then from there, I would ask for their portfolio. So it was actually the reverse. And that's what's kind of interesting here is essentially, at least these days, I group LinkedIn as, you know, it's basically portfolio, LinkedIn, resume, obviously your social profiles. But you're kind of thinking about all of these things together as a cohesive. um, And back to your point about being a little bit more critical with designers is really just, yes, are they paying attention to cues like, typeface, color palette, layout, you know, the user experience overall, leveraging white space. Um, And actually, you bringing that up made me think of a very specific thing, which since I work with a lot of designers who are looking for jobs, but they read about how a lot of the applications today require resumes that will pass through the ATS tools. There's a tension between you know, do I create a a nicely designed resume that may or may not pass? Or do I have a Microsoft Word document that is just kind of clean and simple? And basically my message to them is they need both. And that, you know, when I go to your portfolio and you have, you know, your resume as something that I can download from your portfolio, maybe that's the design version but that you may need a Microsoft Word version, which you know that they're all like crying inside when I say that. (laughs) That's the world that we live in today. Whereas, again, when I first started, those types of tools like didn't really exist. Another really important thing there is it does change like by context. We just, um, so our brand was done by Order, this really awesome Mm. New York graphic design shop. Awesome. And actually just hired them to help us design resume templates. And it was so interesting, their perspective. Because yeah. the folks that apply to order, like order doesn't have an ATS. Like they like go straight into Jesse's inbox. You know? <laughs> right. was, so he like in their first version were these like really beautiful. Right? I was like, oh, those won't pass the ATSs. They're like, what's that? <laughs> and I was like, no, like they won't parse well. And he's like, yeah, but I'm like making it an illustrator. It doesn't matter. And I'm like, no, for like if I'm applying to a big company like, like Meta, like it does 
even though I'm going to work for a world-class designer who has the same graphic sensibility that you do, it still needs to get through all of like the administrative systems that these big companies have. Mm -hmm. um, so I think your point about having both is, is really important. Force us to have really interesting conversations, which is, again, putting yourselves in the shoes of the hiring managers, the organizations. If you understand how it works and you have a little bit more understanding of the behind the scenes, like um, the class that I teach, one of the classes I teach at CCA called Designing Your Career, thanks to Teal, actually, I feel like it has helped me understand kind of all the steps. And I also gave them, based on my experience, I, I broke down how things worked, for example, at the Times or at Meta, which was you need budget approved to then even open headcount. And then from there, there's a job description that gets written and then approved through, you know, recruiters and the hiring manager, you know, and showing those steps and how much time it takes. It was an empathy building exercise because I think, that, you know, they didn't really understand, you know, what happens before they even find the job listed on LinkedIn or whatever career site. Um, and then even from there, once they apply, just even understanding how that works and how you even get considered through an interview loop and how, you know, so breaking down the, like kind of everything step by step and understanding, again, like their perspective and putting themselves in those shoes, I think then helps them maybe prepare better for how to apply to a job. And that's been kind of really interesting to kind of figure out how much information they may need in order to better prepare themselves or position themselves and empower them even through the interview process, assuming they even get to that stage in the first place. So on that and how you position yourself, I kind of have like two axes I want to talk to you about, but I'll start the, like the two axes are generalization, specialization. And then the other axes is seniority. Because I think that those things like earlier in your career, it may be better to position yourself as a generalist later in your career might be, but I don't know. So I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts because this does have like legit career implications and it has implications to how you get hired and how companies source and, and design to your point earlier is getting so fragmented to you can be like an expert in like font for landing pages, you know, or like ad copy to someone who does like, it's like a full stack designer. So how do you think about specialization versus generalization in a design career? Uh, my perspective has shifted over the years. I would say in some aspects, we've become almost too like overly specialized. Like when I was starting out, you basically had web designer and graphic designer, mm -hmm. and that was it. <laughs> and now the list of titles that have design in them is too long to even name. And that's okay. I think, you know, some people feel you know, a certain way about it. But I think that if anything, there's so much democratization of design that I think it's my hope is that people use design for good and that, you know, obviously just it kind of empowers people to step into these types of roles. And technology has kind of forced, you know, all, all of the technological advancements has enabled us to be able to do that. Personally, I think that every team needs a mix of generalists and specialists. So I'm I'm the type of uh, person who, even today, if I'm helping a company source talent, I'm looking at what problem are we solving, what kind of talent is needed, and there could be, you know, a need for a more generalist, and there could be a need for more a specialist. It's a bit agnostic. It's agnostic to like your level of experience, 
I think there is a need for both. And and that's okay. I do get this question sometimes, which is some people feel like they they have all these skills or have these all these different passions. How do they talk about all of these things that they care about? And, you know, will they be not considered for a certain role if they also talk about this other passion that they have or this other skill set that they have? And so, again, I think it comes down to, like, how do you connect those dots for the employer so that they actually see it as being a value add instead of it being something that could work against you. Uh, but it, it does come down to how you, like, it's on you to kind of figure out how to package that in such a way that it, it benefits the business that you're applying to. Because it could come across as like, I have all of these interests, but I'm not really sure how it applies to, you know, what, what I'm applying for. When you've been involved in the hiring process and sort of the various roles you've had, how did you go about documenting the needs in a job description? Because right? like the hiring manager is very involved in the job description creation process, right? And that's like, I, I often talk about it as like, that's my RFP to the market. And the resumes are the proposals. So like, what was most important to you? Again, depending on the position, obviously, I would imagine it's super contextual. But like, how did you go about the JD and like crafting this thing that said, this is what I need, world, hope, you know, respond to this thing? So, you know, obviously, there's so many JDs out there that sound like a long, you know, list of things that you know, where you're looking for that unicorn or whatever those buzzwords are and or a ninja <laughs> of whatever <laughs> it is. Ninja has um, guru. <laughs> yeah, thank God. But I guess because I tend to I've I've been in roles, even despite my titles as creative director or whatever it may be, um, I tend to help companies or brands build teams from scratch or evolve teams that need to move into that next level of maturity. So I'm usually still kind of in the weeds and aware of what skill sets are needed in order for us to grow. So I am not so detached. Like I'm I'm not kind of at this level guessing what is needed for that particular JD. And um, if anything, there's been many times where I'm writing a JD for, for basically my replacement. And so I'm basically writing it with like, well, what have I been doing? What are the skills that I think are needed for that project that I may have just wrapped up? Like, it feels very personal. And I I try and think about, well, if I would have basically write something that feels like exact, like a one-to-one to what I've been doing up until now, then hopefully it feels like something that someone could apply to or it feels a bit more realistic. Over the years, I feel like I've learned, depending on the level or the title, how many years experience may be required or like a minimum range. Um, So that I feel like just has become more intuitive. Although obviously there's some flexibility. I think it's also because I feel very privileged. I uh, was given a chance when I was very young to step into a people management role. And so to me, years of experience is a little bit more flexible because I was given the chance without as much experience to be in a title you know, and level that maybe in the past would have warranted a minimum amount of years of experience. And so again, I think that's where I'm I'm writing these JDs based on, I think, my own personal experience. And then, you know, trying to be just very clear, looking at other JDs in the marketplace and kind of seeing how they position certain roles. 
I think always starting the JD with a little bit about the company and what they believe in and and who they are. I think that's imp- that's become even more important because I feel like people are looking to maybe align themselves with companies who know who they are and what they stand for and why they exist. And so sometimes when that's missing, it feels a little like it's lacking personality and even giving a taste of the types of projects that they may be working on. So it doesn't just feel like a a generic job description for, you know, that particular role. Um, I will say last thing that whether I'm full time or currently, you know, acting as an independent uh, consultant, I still to this day write job descriptions for my clients. I don't think everyone, maybe it's a certain skill that I maybe not everyone has, or maybe they're not interested in, in doing it, but I actually secretly love <laughs> writing job descriptions. And it actually, there have been instances where I'm working with a team of individuals at a company who have never had a job description. And so they're they're basically navigating within a company and kind of floating without clarity. And sometimes just writing a job description, even though they're already at the company, it gives them you know, something to hold on to and be like, oh, that's what I'm doing. That's my job. I can use that to talk about, you know, a potential promotion with my boss. So job descriptions have actually served at various parts of people's careers. And sometimes just writing it makes something tangible. A hundred percent. I try to do that. And also to hold myself accountable. I try like I write the JD and rather than just being this thing I used for hiring, I then use it as like the roadmap when the person starts. And it's like, hold myself accountable. Like I wrote all this stuff. Is that really your job? Like, is that what you're doing? Obviously it's going to change at a certain point, but and something that, you know, and again, this changes by function, but when you're writing JDs and thinking about like what's really important and what a person really needs to demonstrate, there's obviously like technical hard skills. Like, do they know Figma? Do they know the Adobe suite? But then there's also the actionable version of that, right? So like Illustrator implies graphic design, but not the other way around. Graphic design doesn't mean Illustrator. Like, how do you think about like the language that goes on a JD? Maybe you can even give me some examples of like, I yeah, I want to say to the person that you need to, these are the requirements, these are the responsibilities, like what kind of language is on there that specifically speaks to what you're looking for? Yeah, no, it's good that you asked this. So I do encourage my students or people I've mentored to think about both the technical skills and to make sure those are listed clearly. And in the world that we live in today, even listing tools like uh, Miro or Zoom or Slack or, you know, things that kind of go beyond just the design tools and software, because that shows that you you know, have adjusted to more remote working or kind of are comfortable in certain ways of communication. And sometimes there's an oversight in terms of the world we live in today. And they'll just kind of list, you know, the ones that you may expect. Um, Same with like, you know, Google Suite or Microsoft Office, (laughs) or even saying that you're comfortable on Mac and PC. Um, Mm -hmm. These things are, you know, sometimes forgotten. The soft skills, sometimes they may list it kind of on the side, but I actually try and encourage them to integrate the soft skills into how they describe their impact at a company. And that tends to be the hardest part for designers is they'll think about the kind of final project and have a hard time talking about it in terms of impact. What if something doesn't launch or what if something failed? They may not even know that that is worthy of kind of talking about on the resume, but it's all about how they 
maybe it's it's about the fact that they sprinted really quickly on a project and that they navigated working with various functions. And so it's more about the process than the end result. And how do you then quantify that or talk about that or or bring out numbers or data to be able to say, hey, you're comfortable working in a fast-paced environment. You can navigate ambiguity. You can work with different functions. Like These are all things that demonstrate soft skills. And again, the, that doesn't come as naturally, I feel like, to maybe the more junior designers. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe if you're more senior, that may be a little bit more intuitive in terms of kind of how to talk about your leadership or influence or whatever it may be. But yeah, I think that has been something that I consistently see across designers' resumes is them kind of not knowing how to maybe frame that. So when when I do see that, that tends to stand out and I, I that piques my interest. And would somewhere like an in-between like soft and software be like have run ad copy creative for social media ads at a D2C brand? Like, would it be like that kind of specificity or would you want to see something more, I don't know, like have, have worked on a website that got millions of impressions or like, like how do you articulate like the requirements that you want that are not like a software, but are also, they're a bit more specific than like a soft skill? I mean, I think it comes down to uh, making sure that your resume feels customized to the role that you're applying to. And what I, I'm, I'm not saying that like every single resume has to feel bespoke, but, you know, if you're reading a job description and there are certain requirements or words used maybe in that job description, then maybe it's worth thinking about leveraging either some of the language or the words or making sure that however you frame your impact matches the role that you're applying to. So it is a little bit of a strategic exercise um, and requires you doing your due diligence and research. And um, it should not feel generic. Like if you were to read a bullet point on a resume, it shouldn't feel like, well, literally anyone could say that they did that. It should feel like specific to that instance where you were, you know, part of that team. So actually, I think like, I don't know, like, like if you read a bullet point on your own resume and it seems like anybody could say that, that's a really good like litmus test. <laughs> yeah, which is hard. I mean, it's it's again, it's um, this is not easy work. This is a positioning exercise. This is a you know, how to extract impact from projects that may or may not have measurable data or thing numbers that you may, you know, have like a case study mm -hmm. that was written up or whatever it may be. It's you're kind of, you know, it's a lot of reflection. And actually, to that point, I, I also encourage my students, this is sometimes easy to forget, but how do you take note or reflect on your wins or your impact throughout your time at your career? Because it gets harder once you leave a place to kind of think back, okay, what what have I done over the last five years? And if you build in a ritual on a more ongoing basis, whether that's quarterly or whatever it may be, to, to kind of think about, okay, let me archive the projects. Let me, you know, write a few notes about what I did this quarter. You know, let me save things. It'll make not only updating your portfolio easier, but also writing your resume, which by the way, you should keep updated you know, regardless of you looking for a job, because it, it's much harder if you, you know, try and pick that up after years of of it feeling like, you know, a, a dated 
uh, version of who you are. We'll keep beating that drum. I feel like it's advice. Everyone everyone always regrets it. Oh, I should have. So I'm glad you said that. Well, we'll, we'll end on this topic because I know it's something super relevant to what you're doing right now and you know, to your students. But how did you think about early career hires? Like when you were building out your teams, like, you know, because you work at big companies that had the budgets to have senior people and junior people. How are you thinking about the need for junior talent and how you would then like go about sourcing that junior talent? Yeah, just a little bit more for early career folks. How, how did you think about hiring them? Sure. So I would say, because as I mentioned earlier, the teams that I would tend to build would either not exist or kind of require that next evolution. The teams tended to be small. And sometimes the budgets, you know, you had to kind of earn bigger budgets, you know, that the kind of newness of the teams that I would run, we would be in a stage almost like a startup where we would have to prove and kind of earn needing those budgets over time. But I am happy to to kind of say that even like the one of the teams that I kind of influenced was a, the in-house content studio for the New York Times. And that was like a very startup-y phase where I was the founding creative director, but now it's still exists and is flourishing and has hired, hired a lot of people and has hundreds of employees. I look for, I guess, again, thinking back to my personal experience, I'm looking for people who are curious, who are eager to learn, who understand that it's about kind of relationship building. And I guess what I'm naming out loud as I'm thinking, it's, it's yes, the craft is important, especially if I'm looking for, you know, junior designers, but it's about everything that surrounds the craft. Like, who are you as a person? How do you kind of talk about yourself? Maybe I met you at an event and you followed up and you were persistent to the point of, you know, not being annoying, but kind of being really intentional and thoughtful about, you know, how you email me or talk to me. I've in the past, yeah, I mean, I, I have found talent through Instagram. I have found them through LinkedIn. I have met people through industry events. And again, whether I'm full-time or now as independent, I'm still helping people get jobs because of just the network that I've built over time. It's like if someone is asking me, hey, do you know someone who's more junior or mid-level who could work on this brand project? I'm then thinking about, oh, I met this young designer through, I also volunteer for uh, the AIJ San Francisco organization. I'm on their board. And I meet so many people at, at our meetups. Um, and that alone, you know, again, if you come talk to me, maybe ask me to look at your work, then you're more visible or kind of top of mind for me as someone may reach out. And then it's it's very likely that I may send your portfolio um, forward if you made a certain impression. Sometimes uh, one of the things that I've noticed with my students, again, they've had these aha moments, is they they think that, the craft is is enough to get them at the job. And actually that is false. I mean, maybe that was true once, kind of back in the day where, you know, you had to kind of just be the best in your craft and that's how you would get noticed or whatever it may be. And now because it's very crowded market and there is so much incredible talent, it's almost like, you know, who are you as a person where the craft is great, but you may actually not be the best type designer or brand designer or illustrator that I've ever seen. But it's everything else that kind of surrounds that experience, how you put yourself forward in the portfolio, how you may reach out via email, how you ask for help, how you think about 
even just kind of how you confidence in yourself and your voice really does come through. Um, and I'm not talking about people who have large egos. I'm talking about just feeling like someone who knows who they are and kind of can be really vulnerable and and put themselves out there, even at like an early stage uh, part of your career. And those types of things really make an impression because today, in order to be successful at a job, especially in a remote environment or in a hybrid environment, there's all of these kind of other skills that are required in order to succeed. So yeah, the craft really only gets you so far. It's like who you are as a person and kind of all of these other things, you know, relationships, communication, transparency, authenticity, and being just being consistent over time with those attributes um, where you can really stand out as a potential candidate. I think that's an awesome place to wrap up because it it isn't just for designers. That advice is, I think, important to everyone. There is no like silver bullets in the career or the job search. It's actually the aggregate of many, 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 many like small interactions and small things you do. It's not just like how many pages your resume is. It's not just, you know, whether you put dates on the left or the right. It's like all these things in aggregate. And I think our brains are really good at like computing these like thousands of inputs to ultimately make what seems like a simple decision. But again, it's that email, it's that DM, it's the top post on your LinkedIn. All those things go into like the decision-making machine that is our brain on like whether we should move someone forward in the hiring process or not. Yeah. And honestly, it's everyone is their own best advocate. I mean, you could have the best mentor, you could have the best boss, even though that's rare. <laughs> you could have a great support network. But if you take yourself seriously, then others will take you seriously. And so what, you know, kind of coming back to that first thing that I, I, I mentioned about seeing yourself as a brand almost, it's really thinking of, of your skill sets as a valuable asset to any employer. And there is maybe, you know, something that we didn't really touch on is really balancing some kind of business acumen or understanding the kind of business side of the organization and how your skill sets would help add value to that business. So again, if you're able to see that early on in your career, you will fly quickly because you're able to kind of make those connections early on and how you tell your story. And the longer it takes for you to kind of figure that out, maybe, you know, you, you may kind of notice um, how that affects your career path. But really this this idea of developing your own personal brand package, like crafting your personal narrative and really maintaining consistency across all touch points. I know I've never really worked with L Leah, but for, for folks who've worked with me in the past, you know, I, I guess I've gotten feedback or people have said, you know, that I, I'm consistent kind of no matter where I am or what I'm doing or how it comes through. And sometimes, I mean, it's only human, but sometimes I kind of forget or question my value or, you know, that's that happens to everyone. But what's been interesting is kind of hearing others then tell me that I've been just kind of consistent in how I connect people or bring people together, whatever it may be. And those are just like nice reminders of just how important that is, because people don't forget. 100%. Someone once gave me the advice, like the best single career hack is do the things you say you're going to do. Like, that's it. Just like, you know, say you're going to do stuff and do it. Like deliver consistently and you'll be good. Well, Rachel, this was... Awesome. How can folks follow along? I know that you publish on a few different places. Uh, you're active on a few different social networks. How can folks follow along with all the cool stuff you're doing? 
Yeah, thanks, Dave. So feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, just put in my name, Rachel Gogel, G-O-G-E-L. I also have a website, which is my name, rachelgogel.com, um, where you can see a little bit more about what I'm doing today. If you're on Instagram or all of the other social media platforms, too long to list. Uh, but usually I'm at the handle rgogel, G-O-G-E-L. But really, I'm just an email away. And actually, lately, I've been using a platform called ADP List, oh, yeah. um, which is a mentorship platform. And so if you ever want to grab a you know a 30-minute block just to talk about a certain topic or, or thing that's related to this conversation, you can also find me on ADP List. I'd be happy to connect there as well. That is amazing. We will link to all that in the show notes, but I'd like to make sure we get the plug on audio. Rachel, this was awesome. I didn't say this at the beginning, but you know, this is the second time I get to do an interview with you. The first one, if anyone go back to our old podcast around Rachel's incredible, incredible career. She's phenomenally modest about it, but super accomplished. So thank you so much for your time. And a lot of people are going to benefit from this. Thanks so much. And uh, yeah, thanks for tuning in, everyone. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. We are here to help job seekers. The point of this show is to give you the behind the scenes look at the hiring practices of companies and to debunk a lot of the myths and fear mongering that's out there. So if you like the show, please subscribe. Would love for you to write me on LinkedIn or comment on one of my posts. If you'd like to be a guest, we're really looking for practitioners that are in the hiring role, whether it be a hiring manager or a recruiter. We want to give people that inside view to what it looks like like to be hired and to understand the inside view of how companies operate. So please let me know. And if you're job searching, check out Teal, tealhq.com. We are here to help you land a job you love. All right, thanks. And we'll catch you on the next one.